Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Pastor David Gallagher. I'm associate pastor here at Jacobswell Church. I oversee church life and, and, and worship. Um, today we're going to be preaching from 1 Timothy chapter 4. So go ahead and turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's found on page 992 in the Red Bible. As you turn there, uh, have you ever thought about what makes a lie convincing? You probably have. You've probably heard someone even talk about it. But I, I've actually never taken a moment to listen to the people who were talking about it or to think about it. But one article said the following about... Uh, one article said the following... The study authors found that those who consider themselves good liars use a mix of four verbal tactics. Keeping the statements clear and simple, telling a plausible story, being vague about details, and embedding the lie into a truthful story. It's really fascinating. Uh, so this is the nature of a good lie. By design... The more clearly the lie sounds like the truth, of course, we are more likely to put our hope and trust into the lie, fully believing its truthfulness. So with that in mind, we're going to read our text, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for... Uh, Lord, just for your word, for the revelation given to us, Lord, to communicate to us the life that can be found in the gospel, the life that can be found in the hope of our Savior, Lord, to whom the whole, all of Scripture points. Guide us now as we unpack this text, we pray in your name. Amen. So back in high school, I used to be a devoted boyfriend. I thought of dates, uh, I spent uh, more money in the relationships than I should have, and I, I didn't save for cars or for college. I spent what free time I had in the relationship. I was so devoted to the relationship that going into college I had no money, nor did I have any lasting friends outside of the dating relationship. Frankly, it was very unhealthy. But this is what being devoted to something does. Whether healthy or unhealthy devotion... It consumes our resources, our time, and our relationship. So in the church in Ephesus, to whom Paul is writing, Paul acknowledges 
that Timothy was facing people devoted to things far more evil and far more destructive, and that lies were causing some to depart from the faith. So, like, And like Timothy's church in Ephesus, there are some in our church here today who devote themselves to lies and liars, whether knowingly or unknowingly. But in our passage, Paul exhorts the church to be, to be discerning of what we believe, to discern our faith, to discern lies and liars, and to discern God's creation. So first, we must discern our faith. Look with me again at what Paul says to Timothy in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So, in our passage, Paul warns Timothy of the false teachers, or he reminds Timothy of the false teachers back from chapter 1, and he confirms to Timothy the impact of that teaching that some were departing from the faith in later times, he says, which Paul often used to say uh, in the times after Christ's ascension. So the impact is right now. Some are departing from the faith. And in verse 1, Paul states that those who are being led astray from the faith devoted themselves to evil lies and liars. So first note that these people who are being led astray do still have guilt attached to this. The verb devote in the Greek here is not a passive verb, but an active verb. Just because they were being led astray does not mean that they were not active players in allowing themselves to be led astray. They had Timothy there. And to further understand this, we also have to know to what they devoted themselves. Verse 3 tells us they devoted themselves to not being married and also to abstain from eating certain foods. So ironically, the ones who fell away from the faith made their salvation not about faith at all, but about what they could do in their own strength. It literally stopped being about faith. God had no longer accomplished salvation for them. So some would say that this verse is a proof text that it is possible for us to lose our faith in salvation. And this makes sense, doesn't it? We sadly all experience what Paul is talking about. We've all witnessed or grieved loved ones or friends who have left the church. I, I can think of too many in my life as well. People see this and quite reasonably say, look, we've seen it happen. We read it here. It's apparent that you can lose your salvation. How could you explain it otherwise? While this seems like a firm solution, might I offer to you the truth, beauty, and goodness of the alternative? That, that this God who loved you so deeply to rescue you is the same God who will not let you go. John 10, 27-29 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 1.13 says, In him also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed. Were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Notice that in all of those verses, there is no age, the agency is in God's hands. While it seems reasonable to see in our passage as evidence that we can lose our salvation, I actually believe it could be the opposite. This passage may only reinforce all the more that our faith is secured by God and God alone. Faith rests upon the reality that God has done it for us, and those who departed from it make it clear that what they had was not faith in God, but faith in their own hands. In not eating or marrying as a means of salvation in our passage. I recognize that this is, uh, this, there's some mystery to this as well. So what agency do we have? Because in the passage, there is agency. They devoted themselves. Well, we rest upon that mystery that in Philippians 1.6 that says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And there's another passage in Philippians 2 that says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in, us, in and through us. So Paul recognizes with Timothy that these sheep discerned poorly their faith in Jesus. It was not dependent upon God, but upon their own strength as they devoted themselves to lies and liars. If salvation could be lost, it could only be lost if it was never God who secured it in the first place and is rather dependent upon what we do. Not having discerned that their salvation was faith, Paul tells Timothy that some will depart. So nothing in life will will enable us or someone to discern their faith like death. Pastor Tim Keller wrote a book titled On Death. So in this book, he outlines how he has ministered as a pastor to countless people dying, sick, and on their deathbeds. And in the book, uh, Tim, Tim Keller shares what he says, uh, that he's, what he, he shares what he says to them in their final moments to offer comfort and hope. So uh, in it, I'm, I'm going to read a small excerpt from it. Uh, but before I do... In February of 2020, one month... Actually, I'm sorry. I'm getting all mixed up. Okay. Um, He wrote the book On Death. And then in February of 2020, one month before the COVID outbreak in March, Pastor Keller was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he writes the following regarding his cancer, and he references his book. A significant number of believers in God find their faith shaken or destroyed when they learn that they will die at a time and in a way that seems unfair to them. Before my diagnosis, I had seen this in people of many faiths. One woman with cancer told me years ago, I'm not a believer anymore. That doesn't work for me. I can't believe in a personal God who would do something like this to me. Keller then said, cancer killed her God. Would that happen to me? I felt like a surgeon who was suddenly on the operating table. Would I be able to take my own advice? When I got my cancer diagnosis, I had to look not only at my professed beliefs, which align with historical Protestant orthodoxy, but also at my actual understanding of God. Had it been shaped by my culture? 
Had I been slipping unconsciously into the supposition that God lived for me rather than I for him? That life should go well for me? That I knew better than God does know how things should go? The answer was yes, to some degree. I found that to embrace God's greatness, to say thy will be done, was painful at first and then perhaps counterintuitively profoundly liberating. While Keller's testimony gives us clarity into discerning our faith, you and I should do this sooner than when we find out we are dying. On what do you devote your faith? If your faith is not wholly placed upon Christ alone, you have discerned poorly. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is, the, what is the Jacob's Well community tempted to say that is required to be saved? I'm afraid to ask some of these questions, but here goes. Are your kids homeschooled? Or even private schooled? How hard did you work this week? Was it harder than the person sitting next to you? Are you using your money wisely? Did you give to that one missionary that was here three months ago? Wait, you're, you're not volunteering at the church in any capacity? So tell me, are you a part of a small group? If your answer is no to any or all of these questions, you are still saved by faith. None of these things save you. And none of them saves the person sitting next to you. Discern your faith. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Your salvation is secure by faith in Christ alone. Those other things are good, great, and wonderful, but they are, they, are, they are just the worst substitutes for salvation that can never be shaken. So not only must we discern our faith, but we must also discern lies and liars. Let's look again at verses 1 through 3. Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, to the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created. So while, those ha- having been, so while those being led astray have devoted themselves, they are still being led astray by liars and lies and teaching of evil content. So Paul also doesn't just simply call them false teachers and liars. He helpfully warns Timothy of how he can spot this kind of person First, their motives are insincere. He says, the insincerity of liars. So Timothy, are they telling the truth? First, look to their motives. A liar's motives will be insincere. What is said will be for self-gain and not out of genuine love to build up faith. Secondly, they have a seared conscience. These liars have been lying so long, they won't even know they're lying. Or at least, they won't even care. 
They are unable to feel the guilt of their sin because their conscience has been seared, has been burnt out. And lastly, they will add extra rules. In this case, marriage is a sin and you should not eat certain foods. Follow these three simple steps and take this course for only $29.99. Paul warns Timothy of liars and to discern them and their lies, warning him of what they are like. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and during it, I heard the following commercial from Diet Coke. Here's what the commercial said. The commercial is voiced by Will Arnett. I, won't, I'm, I just want to try his voice, but I shouldn't, so I'm not going to try. This episode is brought to you in part. No, I won't. This episode is brought to you in part by Diet Coke. This year, Diet Coke is celebrating people who enjoy life that aren't worrying too much about what those around you think. Diet Coke is the fuel to unapologetically live your life and just love what you love. I love that Diet Coke is in its 40th year because I think that your 40s are when your confidence peaks and you become the best version of yourself. There there is a freedom that comes with abandoning the shoulds in your life and just loving what you love. And just know, if you're having a Diet Coke, wherever you are, I probably am too. So join us in grabbing a Diet Coke this season, doing what you love the most. Whatever it is, love what you love. This commercial is on a comedic podcast. Will Arnett was the voice of it. So I believe, that, I believe it was intended in part to be an exaggeration. But at the same time, there are some powerful statements in there that sound a little bit like truth that are lies that would be really easy to devote ourselves to. This is not me hating Diet Coke, by the way. I'm aware of a Pepsi guy, but still. I'm just more baffled by these statements. Their motives are insincere, right? They're seeking self-gain. I'm not sure if their consciences are seared. I couldn't tell you that offhand without, you know. But they certainly are promoting a product that sounds like the answer. Diet Coke is the fuel to unapologetically live, uh, live your life and just love what you love. Wow. There is a freedom that comes with abandoning the shoulds in your life. Well, yeah, there is. It's a lot of chains, too. And to the target market, your 40s are when your confidence peaks and you become the best version of yourself. Guys, I'm only eight years away. Let's go. None of these statements are true, but they all contain measures of truth. Now imagine that the truth to which you devote yourselves impacts not merely how much Diet Coke you drank, high stakes, right? But impacts the means by which you are saved. Timothy's church in Ephesus was being told some believable lives that sounded like very effective means of salvation. The threats to you and I are no less real, are they? Do you ever pause to question question the sincerity and motives of those who make truth claims? Whether it is a friend, a podcast, or a movie, do they tell it to you for your good or their gain? Oh, it is so easy to say what people want to hear. How could we doubt that that's what some people are saying? That's not loving. Paul warns you and I to be discerning of motives and sincerity. 
Do you have any friends that see themselves as blameless? It could be a sign that their conscience is seared or that they're a liar. Is there anyone in your life who promotes something other than the gospel as an answer? Consider the following lies. Family is all that matters. Oh, that's a good one. That's an easy one, right? Or we could look to the are you enough lies. Uh, which one are you most tempted to believe? I certainly have one. If you're healthy enough, strong enough, beautiful enough, rich enough, loved enough, loved by XYZ or person enough, smart enough, busy enough, then your longings will cease. There is no meaning to discover outside of us. Therefore, we must create meaning inside of us. Whoa. We must discern our faith, but we must also discern lies and liars. But here is a very beautiful and wonderful truth. We must also discern God's creation. Let's read one last time verses 3 through 5. These individuals who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. I love that statement in verse 4 so much. That we must recognize that everything created by God is good. I'm a ho- I, I, I won't. side tangent. I'm a hobbyist. I love to live life to the fullest. So this statement is like, yes, I can live life to the fullest. It says I can, but I do that poorly in a lot of ways. And let's get into it a bit more on, on how that's the case. Now, everything is created good is not a denial of Romans eight, uh, Romans chapter eight verse twenty, which speaks of all creation groaning in pains. There still exists thorns and thistles in the world. But it still is an affirm- this verse still is an affirmation of the created order. Evil cannot exist without good first having been there. Paul takes us back to the created order in Genesis 1 through 2. What came first? It wasn't the fall. Creation came first. And what was the ref- refrain that we hear every time? And God saw that it was good. And here is the exciting reality of what this meant for Timothy's church. Here is why Paul says nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving and prayer. Faith in God freed the church in Ephesus from having to abstain from this or avoid that to receive or achieve salvation. Faith faith in God freed the church in Ephesus from having to abstain from this or avoid that to receive or achieve salvation. Relationship with God through prayer and his word makes all things holy in the sense that no things, nothing, is now a means of achieving righteousness before him. Timothy, your church is free. It's free to eat, drink, and be married because you are not bound by a false law against them that could never save you. Paul writes in Romans 14, 17 that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
So therefore now, partake with thanksgiving and prayer. Commentator John Stott put it this way, we should determine then to recognize and acknowledge, appreciate and celebrate all the gifts of the Creator, the glory of the heavens and of the earth, of mountains, of mountain, river, and sea, of forest and flowers, of birds, beasts, and butterflies, the joys of gender, marriage, sex, children, parenthood, and family life, and our extended family and friends, and of food and drink, clothing and shelter, and our human creativity expressed in music, literature, painting, sculpture, and drama, and in the skills and strengths displayed in sport. To reject these things is to abandon the faith, since it insults the Creator. To receive them thankfully, And celebrate them joyfully is to glorify God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Discern God's good creation. Every night at dinner with my family, we do something called high-low buffalo. Has anyone else heard of this? Highs and lows you've heard of, maybe the buffalo part, that's kind of weird, but we go around the table and we share what was the high point of the day, the low point of the day, and something that surprised us in the day, which we called a buffalo. So at the end of our vacation this past week, I just got off vacation on uh, yesterday, we shared our, what our high-low buffalo of the vacation was. So for me, the high of the vacation was this past Monday. Uh, we stayed at a water park in the Dells and uh, we got up, of course, we have two kiddos. We got up at 5.30, and the water, water park doesn't open till 9. So we got up, and uh, it ended up being a really, really nice moment to get up that early. Uh, we went and had uh, breakfast at Cracker Barrel. Delicious eggs, bacon, pancakes, hash browns, biscuits, fruit, real maple syrup, all for only $14. I love a deal. That's like half the experience for me. We then went to the water park. It opened. And uh, we swam in the wave pool. Tons of fun. Uh, gave us a workout, worked up an appetite. So, uh, hungry from that, we then went back to our room and ordered uh, extra cheese medium Domino's pizza with garlic cheese sticks for lunch. Oh, it was so good. After lunch, the kids napped, and it was wonderful because they got up so early. (laughs) And Rondley and I had a Bible study, and then we streamed some shows on our tablet. After that, we, uh, after the nap, we went back to the water park and enjoyed the lazy river for a few hours. We then hiked the long way back to our room. It was like, it felt like a two-mile walk, man. Legit, sometimes took a half hour if we let the kids walk with us, which made us very hungry, hungry enough that after all that food, we went ahead and ordered an eight-piece chicken tender basket with fries and Culver's and four scoops of custard. That night, I read a little. We watched some more shows. We called it a day. What a high! What an amazing day! It was wonderful. It was so wonderful. Thank you, God. Your creation is so, so good. It's so good. Cracker Barrel swimming, Domino's swimming, Culver's shows. Oh, come on. How wonderful is it that I could just enjoy this good creation as a gift from God, giving thanks for it, knowing that I need not rely upon it or abstain from it for my salvation. Jacob's well, I think we as Americans, we like to think we're really good at this but we're not. We consume much, but we consume poorly. We are missing out on so much more enjoyment and joy and fullness of life. Are you dependent upon food, sex, shopping, or anything else in creation for your joy and happiness? Stop it! 
We do not depend upon it because you're free to no longer depend upon it. And in that freedom, we can enjoy it more. Isn't that beautiful news? We are not just to receive and enjoy creation, but we are to do so free from any and all anxiousness, thinking that it is our only means of life or enjoyment or salvation. Our expression of its enjoyment to God completes its satisfaction. God, we thank you. Now, this does not mean that we should go and consume sinfully. I don't eat Cracker Barrel, Domino's, and Culver's three times a day every day. That would, be, that would be slavery of a new kind. But how beautiful is this? How amazing is our God? He's so kind and he's so loving that the gospel he gives to us, it not only gives us heaven, but it gives us earth. It's so true. I mentioned the article by Keller earlier. I have one more excerpt from it I'd like to read to you. Towards the end of his article, it's a long one, so bear with me. Keller goes on to say at the end of this article about his pancreatic cancer diagnosis, one of the most difficult reasons to explain is what happened to my joys and fears. Since my diagnosis, Kathy and I have come to see that the more we tried to make heaven out of this world, the more we grounded our comfort and security in it, the less we were able to enjoy it. Kathy finds deep consolation and rest in the familiar, comforting places where we vacation. Some of them are the shacks with bare light bulbs and wires, but they are her sensucht locations, a German word, the spaces for which she longs. My pseudo-salvations are professional goals and accomplishments. Another book, a new ministry project, another milestone at the church. For these reasons, we found that when we got to the end of the vacation at the beach, our responses were both the opposite yet strangely the same. Keller goes on to say that Kathy would begin to mourn the need to depart almost as soon as she arrived home, which made it impossible for her to fully enjoy herself. She would fantasize about handcuffing herself to the porch railing and refusing to budge. I, however, would always chafe and be eager to get back to work. I spent much of the time at the, bra- at the beach brainstorming and writing out plans. Neither of us learned to savor the moments, and so we never came home refreshed. Kathy and I should have known better. We did know better. When we turn good things into ultimate things, when we make them our greatest consolations and loves, they will necessarily disappoint us bitterly. Thou hast made us for thyself, Augustine said in his most famous sentence, and our hearts are restless until they find our rest in thee. To our surprise and encouragement, Kathy and I have discovered that the less we attempt to make this world into heaven the more we are able to enjoy it. No longer are we burdening it with demands impossible for it to fulfill. Sorry, I know I said it was long, but it's good. We have found that the simplest things, from the waters and the flowers in the vase to our own embraces, sex and conversation, bring more joy than ever. This has taken us by surprise. Last, last, last short paragraph. This change was not an overnight revolution. As God's reality dawned more on my heart, slowly and painfully through many tears, the simplest pleasures in this world have become sources of daily happiness. It is only as I have become, for lack of a better term, more heavenly-minded that I can see the material world for the astonishingly good gift, this good divine gift that it is. 
What a beautiful testimony of what it means to discern God's good creation. Church, let us pursue doing the same in our lives, allowing the gospel to free us from to free us to anticipate eternity and to live rightly in the present. We cannot allow ourselves to be deceived by lies and liars. We lose far too much. The cross of Christ was far too costly for us to devote ourselves to any other truth claim or to any other truth teller. And though food may spoil and marriages are painful, the world is still broken. I'm not saying it's not. The text is not saying it's not. While these things are still true, God's good creation should not be used for more than it was ever created to be used for. It was created to be used for our good and his glory, not to save us or give us a life that it could not give us, that only the gospel can give us. Discern your faith. Discern lies and liars. Discern God's good creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. Lord, this passage that gives life and does not take life, Lord, as all of your scripture does. Lord, may we allow it to do just that in our lives. Spirit, help us. We need your help. We pray these things in your name. Amen.